including today and two of the next three Sundays. Our Gospel text is taken from chapter 6 of John's Gospel, that section that we know as the Bread of Life Discourse. And it all begins with the account of the feeding of the multitude, the most often repeated story in all of the Gospels. Some six versions of this wonderful story in those four Gospels. And what follows the meal story in John's Gospel, a story with a meal, too little food, and too many people, are 71 verses of the most profound teachings of Jesus during his public ministry. And it is these that gave to the Christian tradition the most remarkable foundation of Eucharistic theology. The preposterous disparity between the size of the crowd and the quantity of food that belongs to a young boy recalls a similar predicament encountered by the prophet Elisha several generations earlier. And both stories are wrapped in two miracles, the actual feeding of the multitude and the amount of the remnants that are left over from two meals that are obviously signs of the hospitality of God, a hospitality that is beyond human imagination and more outrageous than human hunger. We live in a world of fast food, drive-throughs, takeouts, frozen and prepackaged complete menus delivered to your door quickly. Not to mention that very revealing designation of junk food. Think of that. Leading me to think that it cannot be said that we have lost our capacity to eat. It might, however, be said that we have lost the art of dining. Maybe that was the scenario or the thought behind the conversation of the apostles, wanting to solve the immediate need for food by going to the store to buy something and thus avoid any engagement with a hungry multitude. A multitude that to them perhaps was intruding on their otherwise manageable life with the teacher. And isn't Eucharistic theology in its lived expression always about opportunity and not intrusion? Jesus, of course, had another idea, as he always did. For Jesus, 
meals were events. They were the place where some of his most demanding and significant teachings took place. Think of at the home of Zacchaeus, or at the house of Simon, or at the table of Emmaus, or the wedding feast of Cana, or the many parables about a banquet, or the breakfast on the beach, my favorite one, and of course, the Last Supper. For Jesus, the meal was about the gathering. It was about the community. It was about Thanksgiving, and it was about mission. So the meal experiences in the scriptures, whether on a mountain, in a pasture, at a sinner's house, or in the upper room, were never static moments. It was never for its own sake. It was never just about getting fed. It was always about being changed. We are always conscious, of course, as human beings, of being hungry. Not just in life, but for life. And it is the hunger for life that brings us to the Eucharistic table over and over again. If it was only a hunger in life, then any table would do. And we have many of those to choose from. And they too are necessary. But at the Eucharistic table, we are offered something so much greater. It is at that table, and here for us today, that we remember we belong to a greater community. And by virtue of that identity, we take considerable responsibility for the other members of that community. We may come to the table alone, but we do not eat alone. And in that is the amazing secret of Eucharist. One of the painful side effects of the pandemic, liturgically speaking, has been, and for many, still exists, the inability to gather with a Eucharistic community. So many people have told me that that was so, so difficult. Of course, they appreciated the virtual liturgy, but being absent was a real and painful hunger. So perhaps this gives us a new way of remembering what real communion with our God and with each other really means. We remember that the fragments of life, ours and those of others, are mysteriously collected and placed on the table within the elements of bread and wine. Our sacrifices, our pain, our moments of hope and joy, our strength and our dreams, 
our loneliness, and our relationships of love. All of these are given over to the Christ, who returns them as his own body, as his own promise that we are deeply loved and cared for. Our response is simply gratitude. A gratitude that Paul tells us today is lived out in the virtues of humility and gentleness, peacefulness, patience, and unity. These two are the fragments that are left over, as it were, after Eucharist. They are the gifts that a hospitable God leaves with us to feed those who are here and those we have yet to encounter in the many communions that intersect our journey, shape our purpose, and nourish our souls.